my barbershop has two chairs for haircut getting and about a dozen chairs for haircut waiting. My uh, barbershop is always busy, and so it's very important to establish where you are in line. And not too long ago, I had an interesting experience. I uh, pulled into the driveway of uh, my barbershop, and it was raining like crazy. And uh, as the rain is pounding on the roof and on the windshield, I realized that uh, another car is pulling into the driveway uh, right behind me. And so I parked in front of the uh, barbershop, and uh, the other guy took the parking place right next to me. I got out of my car. He got out of his car. I was two steps ahead of him. He was two steps behind me. And I had to make a decision. And uh, I decided I would be kind. And I would uh, open the door so he could come out of the rain. He went through the door, didn't say thank you. That's not surprising. Uh, what was surprising is that one of the two barber chairs was open, empty. And guess who jumped into that seat? Yeah. The guy who drove into the driveway, second. The guy who parked his car, second. The guy who got out of his car, second. The guy who came to the door, second, so I could open up the door and he could come in. This guy decided that he was first in line to get into that barber's seat and get a haircut. It was an outrage. It, this act broke every known law of barbershop protocol. I was there first. The chair was mine, and he stole it. And to make matters worse, the chair robber was euphoric about his good fortune. He, was, he swung into that barber chair saying, wow, an open chair. This never happens. Who gets to just walk in and sit down in the barber chair? This is amazing. And you know what I did? I just stood there with my long hair, getting longer and... I was shocked at what was going through my mind. I wanted to call the cops because I felt so robbed. I was just robbed. And I felt so disrespected. It's like this guy believed that the whole reason I was granted life in this world was to get there a couple of seconds before him to open doors. And I, he was treating me like I was invisible or worse, he was he was treating me like I was his servant or something. And then suddenly hap something happened that kind of changed my attitude, which I will explain when I tell you the rest of the story in a few moments. But first, let's study some of the most famous words that Jesus taught. Uh, so you might want to turn your Bible to uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 38. Uh, to me, these are very familiar words, but just recently a light bulb kind of went on in my mind, and Jesus kind of taught me a little bit more of what he is trying to get across here. And uh, this teaching applies to not only my lightweight uh, barbershop experience, but also to some heavier issues. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. 
If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. If, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even people that don't believe in God do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, not only are these among the most famous words that Jesus said, they are among the most challenging. I mean, it seems impossible. Loving my enemy, turning the other cheek, giving my coat to the guy who takes my shirt, uh, going two miles for the guy who forces me to go one mile, which leads to the light bulb that turned on in my mind. Jesus is teaching that loving my enemies is superhuman. Jesus is teaching that loving my enemies is not human, but that loving enemies is a divine trait that God passes on to his children. And Jesus makes this very clear in verse 45. Love your enemies that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus says that I can know that I'm part of God's family when I'm showing signs that I'm a kind of a chip off the old block, that I act like my heavenly Father, who Jesus says causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, it's easy for us to misunderstand uh, what Jesus is saying here about the sun and the rain. We think that the sun is a blessing, but we think of the rain as a curse because it cancels our baseball games and, and picnics. But Jesus is speaking to a, an agricultural society where rain is the biggest blessing of all. And so Jesus says that even going beyond the regular blessing of the sun, God showers super blessings of rain upon people who love him and people who hate him, who curse him, who ignore him, choose not to believe in him. This is who God is. God loves people who hate him and showers blessing on people who despise him and use him and abuse him. And Jesus says that I can know that I am a child of this father when I live just like him. Jesus says God is love. And so it is just like him to shower blessing on his enemies. And I show that I'm God's child by growing to love just like him. Jesus makes it very clear that if I'm looking for evidence of whether or not I am a child of God, and by the way, all of us should be asking that question, my best test is to look at how I treat those who mistreat me. If I want to know if I'm God's child, I should look at how I treat the people who treat me like I'm invisible, take advantage of me, criticize me, or hurt me. 
Loving my enemies says a whole lot more about my relationship with God than loving my friends and family. I love, that I love my kids, that I love my friends, that I do good to those who do good to me says not a zip, nothing about my relationship with God. Jesus says that even those who hate God love those who love them and do good to those who do good to them. So God calls me to love my enemies just like he does. But what does it mean? What does it mean to love my enemies. Uh, the English word love is probably the most overworked word in the English language. We all know that the love a parent has for a child is different than uh, the love between a man and a woman who are romantically involved and two friends can say I love you and what they mean is totally different than uh, a parent for a child or romantic partners. We use the same English word love in all these cases but the words of Jesus come to us in Greek. And Greek has at least four different words for love, translated into English as love. For instance, there's storge, which is family love, natural feelings of connections with relatives. And there's eros, which is a sensual love. It's the natural feelings of, of romantic attachment. And then there's phile, which is friendship love, natural feelings among companions. Now notice that storge, eros, and phile are all natural feelings. For instance, uh, storge love is a set of feelings for my own flesh and blood, and it's completely natural. That's why if parents give a large sum of money to their child, we don't say, wow, what an example of sacrificial love. No, giving a large sum of money to a child is natural. At least that's what I keep telling my parents. <laughs> but there's one more Greek word for love. The fourth word had fallen out of everyday use in the first century, but the followers of Jesus took this word, and uh, when they wrote the New Testament, they used this word and infused it with Christ-centered meaning. The Greek word is agape which is divine love, supernatural acts of self-sacrifice. Now, notice that whereas the other words for, uh, for love in Greek are natural, agape is supernatural. Whereas the other Greek words for love are all feelings, agape is action. And this is very important when it comes to understanding what it means to love my enemy. The word that is used for love here in Matthew 5 is a form of the Greek word agape, which means that love for my enemy has nothing to do with warm feelings or affection. Agape love is not a set of emotions. It is Christ-like action emerging from Christ-like attitudes. Agape love is a Christ-like attitude that leads to Christ-like actions like giving your coat to someone who takes your shirt and going a second mile to someone who forces you to go one mile. It is important to notice that agape is not just an act, though. It's a loving act that comes from a loving attitude. Uh, when I was in high school, I uh, worked in a uh, department store with a fellow who is a new follower of Jesus. Uh, so Eddie and I had some camaraderie there, but Eddie was definitely new believer, 
still very rough around the edges. Eddie had a problem with anger. And quite often, uh, he'd really get into it with our fellow stock workers. Eddie would tell them about Jesus and then berate them and argue with them when they didn't believe his good news. And uh, these co-workers would dish it right back to Eddie with some pretty salty language. And uh, our co-workers were not spiritual, but they, they referred to hell quite a bit. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, multiple times they told Eddie that he might want to go there and, uh, and every time they said that Eddie would shoot back go to heaven I hope you go to heaven and, which may be theologically correct uh, but Eddie said it with this attitude that made it clear that Eddie wanted those guys to go to heaven like right away and uh, it was... <laughs> You see, attitude is everything. It's everything. Agape love is not doing, you know, a loving thing with a sour attitude or a, a bitter spirit. You know, when Jesus talked about going the extra mile, he was actually referring to a first century common occurrence, which was that there was a Roman law that said that any Roman soldier could force a Roman subject to carry his heavy military equipment for one mile. And so Jesus says, if you are a, a child of God and a, a Roman soldier forces you to carry his heavy stuff for one mile, at the end of that mile, turn to the Roman soldier and say, hey, if it's okay with you, I'd like to go another mile for you. And clearly, Jesus is implying that you go the second mile with a cheerful attitude. Because it's not agape love if you go the second mile kicking stones and dropping the equipment and saying, oh, I'm really going to need the heating pad tonight, and that kind of thing. So I'm on a uh, flight uh, recently. Uh, actually, the, we had not taken off yet. Uh, we were still on the tarmac and... Uh, I had my aisle seat, and I was so happy because the plane was packed. But I had a seat next to the window open, just, you know, me and Jesus. And, uh, uh, and just when I was uh, saying, thank you, Lord, there he was, coming down uh, the aisle uh, with multiple carry-ons. And uh, he soon found that there was no room for any of his carry-ons in the uh, overhead uh, baggage areas. And uh, so he took it all to his seat. But there was not room for his carry-ons underneath the seat in front of him. So then he turns to me and asks me if I would take the rest of his luggage and put it under the seat in front of me. And right there, in a span of about two seconds, Jesus and I had a conversation. And I said, Jesus, this guy took your seat. And, uh, <laughs> and he has multiple carry-ons, clearly against some kind of FAA regulation. He does not deserve me to be inconvenienced. He does not deserve my help. And that's when Jesus reminded me what he would do if he was in my seat. And Jesus reminded me of who I was and that I was a child of a father who showers blessing on those who don't deserve it. And Jesus reminded me that I am one who wants to be like him. 
And so I decided that I would turn to this guy and say, yeah, 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 I'll take the little bag. And before I could say it, Jesus said, oh, no, oh, no. This is agape love, not a gripey love. <laughs> you can't do an agape thing with an agripey attitude. And so instead, I turned to this guy and said, I introduced myself and said, sure, how can I help? And I know that this leg room thing is a tiny little thing. But honestly, folks, it's, this, it's these little things that really indicate whether I'm serious about really being a child of this father. And this is where it gets very personal. Because Jesus had me teach on this subject today, and he brought you here to listen to this because you have difficult relationships that you deal with day in and day out. In fact, Jesus is bringing a difficult relationship to your mind right now. Maybe it's a coworker who attacks you. Maybe it's a, a student who has, uh, has hurt you. Maybe it's a, a family member who has uh, insulted you. Uh, maybe it's an ex-spouse who has betrayed you. And right now, Jesus is inviting you to imagine what it would be like if instead of approaching this relationship like everyone else would, what it would be like if you approached this difficult relationship just like him. What would it be like if, just like your heavenly father, you chose to shower blessing on this difficult person? Maybe it's just praying for that person, but maybe it's showering tangible agape as well. And by the way, if you decide to take up this challenge, if you decide to love your enemy like him, get ready. Get ready to receive rewards from him. The Father promises to reward his children who, just like him, love their enemies. Jesus implies this in verse 46, but what Jesus just implies here in Matthew, he spells out clearly in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, where he says, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. God is a father who loves to reward his children who love their enemies. It's just like him to reward children who are just like him. But what are those rewards? You'll notice that Jesus doesn't spell them out. Here's what I think. I think it's because there are too many. There are infinite ways an infinite God can choose to reward his children, both in this life and the next. But certainly, you know, these rewards for loving my enemies include freedom from the internal pain and bitterness and hatred and anger. You know, when Jesus talks about getting hit on the right cheek, what he has in mind is a backhand, is a, is a, is a right-handed society where a where hitting someone in the right cheek was a backhand slap. And we all know that a, a slap like that, you know, the, the pain is like uh, this physically, but it's like this in terms of the internal feelings of, of rejection and insult. And there are only two ways to handle this kind of internal pain. There's the natural human way of returning evil with more evil or Jesus' supernatural way and Jesus' way of returning good to those who show evil releases us, sets us free from bitterness and hatred and uh, the bondage of, of, of uh, anger. Next, there's the reward of 
the release from the hard work of getting even, a life devoted to revenge. It takes a lot of sleepless nights going over that offense over and over again and planning paybacks. It's a lot of work to make sure that no one ever cuts in line uh, ahead of you. Life is a whole lot sweeter when you can just say to the one who wants to cut in line, go ahead, I don't mind. Then there's also the reward of the joy of being a channel of God's supernatural agape love. And finally, there's the reward of the satisfaction of seeing evil defeated and lives transformed by my agape attitudes and actions. You know, if there's anything that Jesus makes plain in the words we're studying today, it is this. When I retaliate to evil with more evil, evil wins and I lose, and everyone else loses. But when I respond to evil with good, evil loses. And sometimes my enemy is transformed into my friend. It does not always happen, but it can happen. I know that agape love can transform an enemy into a friend because that's exactly what God's agape love did to me. I guess you could say that I'm living proof because just like everyone else, I was born separated from God. I was God's enemy, but Jesus reached out to me with, with his agape love when I was far away from him. Jesus engaged in the ultimate sacrificial act, and his agape love transformed me from God's enemy into God's child. What God did for me in the cross is just like him. What God does in me through the cross makes me just like him. And this is what God wants for you too. Maybe you're here and you realize that you're really not a child of God because you've never really personally applied what Jesus did on the cross for you. Well, if that's the case, you can start that relationship right now just by whispering to God a prayer today like, God, forgive me based on my belief and what Jesus did on the cross for me. Please make me your child and empower me with your spirit so I can love with your kind of love. Becoming God's child through Jesus means being filled with Jesus' Holy Spirit and then engaging in the lifelong process of learning how to be just like him. I am still learning. Back to the barbershop. I uh, mentioned uh, how I had a thought that changed my attitude. It was when I heard myself saying, he's treating me just like a servant. And that's when I heard someone inside me saying, he's treating you like a servant because that's who I am. And that's who you need to be if you want to be just like me. And I realized that this guy was treating me the way Jesus wants me to think of myself. I want to be a servant because this is who Jesus is, and I want to be just like him. So uh, the barbershop has one of those uh, K-cup coffee machines, and uh, this is for the customers. And so while this uh, fellow was uh, uh, getting my haircut, actually, <laughs> I... I asked him and the other customer and the barbers if anybody wanted a cup of coffee. And uh, the guy in the chair, my chair, uh, said that uh, he wanted a cup. And so I, I said, how do you take it? He said, two sugars. I said, uh, equal, all right? And he said, sure. And so uh, 
Somewhere in that coffee conversation, my enemy became a friend. And Jesus said, if a guy takes your shirt, give him your coat. If a guy forces you to go one mile, go two miles. If a guy takes your barbershop chair, give him some coffee. (laughs) And I could serve him with a smile in that chair because I had in mind how this tiny act was a reflection of the agape love that I have experienced and what God has showered upon me because of what Jesus did on the cross. I could smile through this experience because I'm slowly learning how to be more and more like my heavenly dad. I could smile through all this because I was thinking about Jesus and how serving was just like him and how I want to be just like him. Would you please stand as we uh, get ready to close? And uh, before we leave, I, I have to give you a moment uh, to just stand before God right now because uh, this is a, a holy moment where uh, God wants to uh, take what he teaches and uh, call you to be his child. And so maybe along the The way in the last few minutes God has brought to mind a difficult relationship or a difficult situation and and if you listen to him right now, he'll tell you uh, how you should respond, how you can be just like him and maybe shower blessing, whether it's a prayer or uh, something more tangible upon uh, this difficult relationship. Um, And also just a reminder, we have some men and women up here in the front who are ready to pray with you and whatever difficult situation uh, you bring with you today. But right now, would you just spend a moment listening to Jesus and then make some plans because agape love is not good intentions. It's some serious action. So let's listen now.